So I want to give you a quick update. Last week, a lot of you took the survey. I think we had 85 people. You can do that online. And uh, you can also this week pick up a hard copy and fill out the survey. And uh, I want to emphasize again why that is so important is uh, as we develop ministers here, it's important that the staff doesn't try to figure out what the needs are. It's important that we hear your heart and what the needs are here. And then how can we do the best we can to work together? The second part of that survey is we want to know what your interests are, things that you love to do so that we can help find ministries for you uh, I think it's awesome when you can actually serve the Lord by doing things that you're good at and things that you love to do, okay? And so we want to do that. So again, that's important that you uh, take time to do that survey. Again, you can do that online or you can pick that up. The other thing on the way out, please pick up the Welcome Center. We have this little card that has all the information on our Easter services. Uh, one of the things that I love here on the east side that we do is that we get a chance to be a part of the Sunrise Service. That's across the street at Cars Park at 630. And uh, Actually, it is my favorite, uh, it might be my favorite service of the year, but it is my favorite Easter service. I love, there's just something about watching all of us break bread, take communion together, and then this amazing sunrise comes up, and it just, it just puts you there, and I, I can't explain it, and uh, I absolutely love it. I know some of you, just the mere mention of the word sunrise, and you cut me out right there. It's like um, you are not speaking the words of the Lord. So anyway, I just want you to know. That's a great service, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get rolling. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for being so loving to all of us. Your grace just fills this place. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that their hearts are heavy, uh, that feel like maybe you don't have a place for them or a purpose for them, Lord, just fill them with your spirit. Let them realize that they are priceless. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. We're continuing in our series this week and next on walking with Jesus, and the video is a great segue. We're going to get into the strategy of Jesus. Many times we, we love to talk about the message of Jesus, but you also need to realize Jesus had a method, and his method was to invest in a few. Matter of fact, in Luke 5, 1 through 11, that's a famous scripture, um, and it's that story you know so well when Jesus approaches those men fishing. And he gets out in the boat, and he begins teaching. And then what he does for them is they have this amazing, amazing fishing expedition, and then he issues that challenge. You remember what the challenge is? I would love for you to be fishers of men. That's the way Jesus works. He goes right to where they live and issues this challenge, which actually is a challenge for all of us. Now, it's interesting. A while back, I was looking through my notes when I was doing a, a Life of Christ study with Dan Spader, and one of the things that he mentioned was they may have been following Jesus, listening to Jesus for over a year before he ever issued that challenge. See, we always think Jesus just showed up randomly and he said, drop your nets and follow me. And they're like, I don't know who you are, but yes, I'm in. I don't think that was it at all. But back in that culture, uh, this is how it worked. They had rabbis. They were great teachers. And a rabbi would have followers or disciples that would follow them. But nine times out of ten, literally the people would approach them, learners would approach the disciples, and they would beg them, could I be your student? Could I be your disciple? Every so often, very rare, the rabbi would see the best of the best and would approach someone and say, would you want to be my disciple and follow me? So here's the teacher, the rabbi, and he's not waiting. He intentionally goes to those disciples, and can you imagine looking in the eyes of Jesus and he says, I want you to follow me. 
Of course they dropped their nets. And they found by following Jesus that he would invest in a few, that that was his strategy. In fact, listen to this. This is the big idea for today. The mission of Jesus was not to reach the world. The mission of Jesus was to make disciples who would reach the world. Now think about that. The mission of Jesus was not to reach the world. It was to make disciples who then would change the world. It means everything. Let me give you a couple of statistics that may help. It's estimated Jesus traveled 10,000 miles with those disciples. There are 17 specific instances where Jesus spoke to the crowds, the masses. But there are 46 specific instances where Jesus reached completely and intentionally into those disciples' lives, investing in a few. So what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus doesn't love uh, the big church? That Jesus just loves small groups of people? Uh, It's interesting. I can tell you uh, one of the things that's always uh, fun is uh, when I'm out in the community, like getting my hair cut, for example, invariably they'll say, so where do you work? What do you do? Oh, I just love that question. You know, uh, I'm a pastor. Oh, you have leprosy. I mean, it's that same, like, oh, I can't believe that. And, then, and they always, it's funny, they'll start apologizing. I'm, I'm sorry I told that dirty joke. Maybe I didn't tell a dirty joke. I don't tell dirty jokes. I'm like, I'm just a pastor, okay? You know, and yes, you did tell a dirty joke. Anyway, I, I don't, it's just crazy. And then here's the kicker. Uh, so where do you pastor at? <clears throat> always a great reaction. Sherwood Oaks. Oh, I always get that. Oh. Oh, the big church. And, I, and I, man, I've heard it all. It's, oh, you're the ones that clog up the traffic. You're the ones that, you know, I've heard, so, oh, six flags over Jesus. I mean, I, I've heard all of these. Like, so here's, here's what I always love to share with people. I said, you know what? Here's what I love about Jesus. He loves big churches. And you know what else he loves? He loves small churches. I mean, I grew up in a church of 80 to 100 people. I mean, he loves church because he loves people. It's not about the size. So Jesus, did he... He spoke to the masses because he loves people. But where did he spend the majority of his time? He invested in a few. Who made the biggest impact in your life? My guess is, I could be wrong, your life wasn't changed through a big church service. It's because somebody invested in you. Now, I, I was a strange child. I would wake up every Sunday morning, oh, mother, I hope they sing those hymns because they're glorious today. I hope we sing the doxology because that... That stirs my soul. You know, I, I was like anybody else when I was like 14. I'm like, you've got church? Are you kidding me? Half the people are dead. And then I'd go, uh, that lady, could she even play the organ? I remember though, that was her fun discussions. And, you know, my mom would say, oh, you, you need to go. But I remember this Sunday when she said, hey, they hired a youth minister. And I'm like, what does that even mean? She said, there's somebody that actually wants to spend time with you guys. I'm like, okay. And you probably heard this story. Uh, that was Tom Ellsworth years ago. He's 19 years old, a skinny little guy from Indiana that uh, actually liked us. We don't know why, but he liked us, okay? He invested in us. You've been there too, haven't you? When you think back to how your life was truly changed for Jesus, my guess is somebody invested in you. He wants us to continue to invest in others. Jesus invested in a few. That's discipleship. Now, why is it hard for a church to really... I mean, really go hard into discipleship. And it's because, and this is my opinion, because churches battle what I call the ABCs. Attendance, the buildings, cash flow. 
That's what we talk about. I can tell you that's what ministers talk about. Uh, Mike, am I wrong about that? They get together and they're talking about, hey, how's things going? Now, if the minister says, oh, the Lord has blessed us, that means attendance is good, okay? And he says, oh, we're going through some struggles. Attendance is bad, you know. Uh, and then if we don't talk about attendance, it's the building issues. And if we don't talk about that, it's about the offerings are not what they should be. And you know, when you focus on the ABCs, guess what happens? You don't have any time to talk about discipleship. See, Jesus didn't talk too much about attendance. You know, he didn't look around and set the feeding of 5,000. Oh, bummer, I wish we had 10. Did he take counts? Every No, no, no. Jesus is all about investing in a few. So this morning, I thought it'd be interesting to just step back and say, if Jesus were to walk with us today, looking and inviting us to be his disciples, what was he looking for? You ever wonder that? Like, what were the attributes and the characteristics that he was looking for? And so I just want you to remember the word raft, okay? Just remember that word raft. Now, it's spring, summer's right behind spring. Don't you love this time of year? Oh, man, I love it. Uh, those of you that say no, uh, seriously, do you not remember the winter? Uh, or as I like to call it, death. Okay, so if you, do, if you like spring and if you love summer, here's a recreational activity some of you perhaps have partaken of. Uh, you can go down south. It's only about 70 miles down, down near Milltown. And you can canoe on the right river. It's very nice. And I've got some pictures there. Yeah, it's pretty. And on the way home with your family, words will come up like, that was fun. That was very controlled. It was nice. It was so relaxing. That was just good old-fashioned exercise. It's nice. Or another option, I've done this a couple times, you can go seven and a half hours to West Virginia and you can raft on the New River. Now, if you do that on the ride home, you'll hear words like extreme, unpredictable, death. I mean, that's unforgettable. I mean, um, when I came off the White River, I was like, oh, I'm so relaxed. I remember the White River is like, oh, seriously, that was awesome. I thought you were going to die, dude. I just remember all that, like, everybody was buzzing about it. Now, why do I share that? Because just for kicks and giggles, if you follow the disciples, how do you think they would describe their journey with Jesus? A nice, gentle canoe ride? Or do you think it was more like rafting? I think it was a raft ride. Because I think every day they woke up, they're like, oh, my land, did you just see what happened? Do you, do you, do you comprehend what he just taught? Or is it just my imagination? Or that guy that has been blind his whole life was dancing, was screaming hallelujah. I mean, you saw that, right? Jesus took them on this amazing journey. But here's what he was looking for in all of them, and he was looking for in us. So here's the R of raft. He's looking for people always who are responsive. Look at John 15, 7. If you remain in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. To be responsive is simply to say, Jesus, I'm not only listening to your words. I want to do what you've asked me to do. I want to be responsive. I want you to come alive in my life. Now, I don't want to get deep into doctrine, but let me just share with you my perspective, just one perspective of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I mean by outpouring. I believe God's Spirit can move whether you're a believer or not. 
And he can tug on your heart at any time he wants. And he can move you in countless ways. It could be a song. It could be a conversation. It can be a movie. You ever be watching a movie scene and you thought you were just watching a movie? And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, my land, I can't stop crying. What's happening? God's moving. God is spirit is always moving. Now, a minister will tell you how this works. You can see the spirit come alive in people, even during worship. Heather, you'll bet you can too. And you can also tell, tell, tell the people, it's like they were talked into coming to church. I mean, you can see it. Some people are sleeping and some people are crying. What's, what's going on? Well, God's spirit is moving. Sometimes you feel your heart just rush. Sometimes you're not there at all. What's going on? God's outpouring of the Spirit is moving, and I love that. And then the indwelling is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he says, man, I want that Spirit in you every day. I want you to draw closer to me. But as Jesus is issuing these challenges, here's what's interesting. Not everybody was responsive. Years ago, I heard this example, and I thought it's true. Somebody was talking about, have you ever noticed, now I was at the time in youth ministry, who God raises up in your youth group to be leaders are very seldom the students you think are going to be the leaders. And he said, it's kind of like this. Remember back in the day of Jiffy, Jiffy Pop? You can still buy it. I thought I was going to have to go underground. I got this at Walmart. Man, those are good days. But he said, it's kind of like this. The heat is applied, and then what happens in time is all of a sudden the kernels begin to pop, but they all don't pop. We know that, don't we? And here's where I've got in trouble is... Uh, uh, if they're not all popping, I'll reset it. Like instead of three and a half, it's four and a half. That's called burning popcorn. That's a great smell, isn't it? You know, and Marie's always like, you're not real smart. You know, anyway, we've, we've had those conversations. But here's what I want you to think about. It's when Jesus' spirit is moving, there are people that pop. They're like, they're ready. And very seldom is it the person you think it's going to be. I was with a, a group of ministers uh, last summer, six of us. Um, and I said, hey... You guys probably don't remember this, but I said, when we graduated, the statistic was uh, only 10% of all Bible college graduates, by the time they retire, will still be in the ministry. And I said, look around at us. Five of us were still in ministry. One of them was an elder and a teaching elder. And I said, now, here's what's funny. If, <laughs> if they'd aligned the six of us up with everybody else and said, six of these guys are going to retire, pastors not in prison, pastors that have, you know, which six, they are like, they wouldn't have picked any of us. I said, you know, obviously they would not have picked any of us. That's how God works. God isn't looking for who's got the best resume. He wants to know, are you responsive? Are you responsive? And the A is simply this, are you available and adaptive? Now, what do I mean by are you available? Jesus wants to know, are you serious about being my disciple? I mean, when you say, I'm available, that means you're available. You're not using excuses. Here is the number one excuse for not going to church. And I hear this all the time. Or the number one excuse, like we'll say, we sure could use somebody to help us with this. What do you think the number one excuse is? I am so bored. No, I am so busy. And it's interesting if you think about people who use the same excuse with Jesus. Matter of fact, um, I, I read this the other day. Uh, this is national. Uh, when they say a regular attender of e any evangelical church, a regular attender is one out of five weeks. That's a regular attender. Now, I know I'm old, 
But I remember back in the day, once a year, we gave out buttons for perfect attendance. Anybody remember those perfect attendance? I never got one, but they say they're really not. You know, but I remember a guy at our church, remember, he had like 14 or, he, 14 or 15 years straight. Now, at Sherwood Oaks, what if we had a Sunday and we gave perfect attendance buttons, starting with the staff? How many folks would have perfect attendance? I don't know if there'd be anyone. Now, am I trying to make you feel guilty? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but here's the deal. We need to step back and say, Lord, am I really available? I mean, am I really available with my time? Because if you're available, then what happens is you become adaptive. Now, what I mean by that is your willingness to change. It's the flexibility. It's the what I call plan B living. Think of how many times uh, the disciples with Jesus had what I call, I didn't see that coming moments. I just didn't see it coming. That only happens when we step back and say, Lord, not only am I available, but I'm allowing you in my life to change my personal plans. I guarantee some of you already in 2019 are living plan B. You went into this year and something in your personal life has changed dramatically. And you're in plan B right now. You are in the, I did not see that coming right now. And if you give that to Jesus, even during those difficult times, he'll be with you. His absolutes are pure, regardless of what season that we go through, if we will just simply be available and be adaptive. And the last thing that I love is Jesus was looking for people who were genuinely faithful. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Faith is mentioned 458 times in Scripture. We find verses like this. Uh, Psalms 119.30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Romans 1.17, the righteous will live by faith. And in my favorite scripture on faith, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we all want to hear those words? At the end of it all, I could care less if he says, you did a really good job with this church. You did a really good job over here. But if he says, hey, John, thanks. You were a faithful servant your whole life. I'm telling you what, that's as good as it gets. He's just looking for people who are faithful. Um, a while back, uh, Robertson's are a funny crew. Uh, my son, uh, we, I went back home, and we're sitting around having pizza with my brother and two sisters. <clears throat> and when we got out of it, back in the car, my son said, Dad, I really think I have more of a Robertson gene in me than Mom. I said, why is that? I said, you Robertsons get together, and in one hour, boom, bada, bing, love you, hug, gone. You know, and he said, I, I kind of like that. Marie, they just hover for days. You know, this. Uh, but I said, uh, man, that was a good lunch, though, wasn't it? I mean, wasn't that, the, the conversation was pretty awesome, don't you think? He goes, he goes, yeah, what Ed said is really true. My brother Ed's retired now, and he, he was talking to Caleb about his job, and he said, hey, Caleb, you want to know how you can be really successful for the rest of your life? Caleb goes, Yeah. He goes, just show up. I'm like, he's right. I mean, think of how many people, well, here's the problem. Just show up. You'd be surprised in life if you'll just, like for Jesus, just show up. Not when you feel like it. 
Faithfulness is, I'm going to show up. I love that about the disciples. Think of all the times they must have just felt beat down, and they just kept showing up. That faithfulness goes a long, long way. All of us need to realize that that raft analogy is so true in life. Think of all the whitewater terror that we face every day. And when you get in a boat, when you're rafting, this was the biggest difference from canoeing. Is I remember they're going through all these rules, and I realized it doesn't matter that everything matches, that your pictures are nice. It doesn't matter that the boat is not, the equipment. That's really not the key. You know what the most important thing is? The guide. Or as I like to call it, my new best friend. And you listen to everything the guide says. And I remember uh, the guide, that, the first time we went was this gal, and she was stronger than any guy in the boat. And she's just laying down the rules. You are not going to do this on my boat. You're not going to, am I understood? Yes, ma'am. You're not going to do it. Or you will die. We know that. I mean, she's going, she's laying it down. And she said, now, if you don't listen to me, uh, we're going to hit some waves. And I don't care who you are or how tough you think you are, it's going to throw you out of this boat. Do you understand? Yes. Yes. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm looking in our boat. I'm like, there's a couple of guys ain't coming out of the boat. You know, I'm like, I'm just looking around. So one of them was, the football coach at the time was Drew Wood. And I remember we hit a wave, and I watched Drew's entire body go over me, and I'm like, she's, she's right. Yeah. That, wow, I did not see that at the White River near Milltown. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that is intense. But yeah, I love that. I love that in life, Jesus is looking for faithfulness. Man, are you faithful? And here's the last one. The T is simply this. Teachable. Teachable. James 3.13 who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds, done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now, there's a huge chasm, huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information. Matter of fact, I don't want you to look at them, but you ever know someone that has just tons of knowledge? Like, you want them on your team for trivia pursuit, but they have no common sense. You know anybody like that? Don't yell out names, but somebody's like, oh, seriously. Well, knowledge isn't all that we need. Uh, we need wisdom. Wisdom is when you take that knowledge and it actually begins then to become deep in your heart, and that's transformation. That's what Jesus was looking for. He's, he didn't want him to just say, hey, Jesus, I got a great party trick. I have memorized the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would be like, just put it in motion. Why don't you live it? I don't care about the information. But man, is it transformation? Are we teachable? A few years ago with our men over on the east side, we had a discipleship group going. And the focus when we started the first semester, this was years ago, was we took an older leader. We matched him with three younger guys. We actually drew names. We matched with these younger guys. And we said, this is your mentor. And they're going to invest in you. You're going to learn some leadership lessons. And the young guys at the time were really excited. At the halfway point in the semester, before the next semester, it wasn't the young guys. It was the older guys that said, I don't like this. And I said, what don't you like? They said, I don't like being called a mentor. I really don't. Can we call it something different? And I said, well, what do you want to call it? And I love this. They said, shared discipleship. And I said, you know what? I love that. They said, because you know what? The only reason I'm a leader 
that I have any advice is because life's kind of kicked me in the head, and I've got a few more years, but I can learn so much from everyone at that table. And I said, you're absolutely right. How many of you parents have learned from your kids? Or let me scratch that. You've learned from your grandkids. You know what I'm saying? We learn. I mean, we have to learn from each other. There is no such thing as a generation gap with Jesus Christ. And that's what I love. He's called all of us to be teachable at all times. Are you teachable? I'm one of those guys a few years ago. Marine, I really got into this. I absolutely love uh, national parks and traveling and seeing national parks. And I love to see how God shows up through his creation. And just, and I am not exaggerating to the point of like taking my breath away. There's been times I have been, I mean, literally just tears like on my land. Sunset over the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's not Lake Monroe, but it's pretty nice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and in those times that we're traveling, you know, hours to get to some of these parks, my wife will tell you, I am such a nerd. Uh, She'll drive and I start reading through all the brochures and I'm highlighting like, we got to check this out. And, I, and she's like, uh, can't, you, can't you once in your life wake up not looking for a sermon illustration? And the answer is, why? You know, so anyway, we're at the Grand Canyon at Rotten Day and rainy, and I'm listening to the guy giving us information. And, uh, and all of a sudden he said, uh, if you have time tonight, Google the name John Wesley Powell. He's the guy that called this the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, Indeed, I will Google that guy, you know. And I got home. I'm telling you, this guy's a rock star. Man, I'm like, why? I've never heard of this guy. Uh, Fought in the Civil War, had his right arm amputated from the Civil War, uh, became uh, self-taught, a brilliant guy, and ended up being a professor in natural sciences and an explorer. He's the first guy with his team to ever go the entire distance on the river through the Grand Canyon recording everything that he'd seen all the way through the canyon. It took him nearly the entire summer. It was 1869. He had nine men, and they got into those wooden boats, four wooden boats. They didn't have these rafts. Uh, They got in these boats with their gear. Uh, 538 miles in, two of the boats had been destroyed. A lot of the equipment, they were thin on food. And uh, three of the men decided... Uh, as they climbed up on a cliff to look out at what was coming, they couldn't do it anymore. And so they bailed. So here you are with two boats running out of food, and the worst looks like it's ahead. And um, those three guys that decided it was easier to climb a cliff and go in the desert, they never heard from them again. What's amazing is three days later, they made it to the end. They made it to the very end. And his greatest regret was if they would have just stayed in the boats, they would have survived. But they just couldn't see beyond. But I want to read something. Uh, he was journaling through the entire uh, journey. And as they were getting to the toughest part of the journey, this is what John Wesley Powell wrote. And I thought I could see Jesus sharing this with his disciples and sharing this with all of you this morning. And here's what he said. We are ready to start our way down the great unknown. We are three quarters of a mile into the depths of the earth. The great river shrinks in significance as it dashes its angry waves against the walls. 
and the cliffs that rise to the world above. We have an unknown distance yet to run, an unknown river to explore. What falls there are, we know not. What rocks beset the channel, we know not. What walls rise over the river, we know not. But tomorrow, we get back in the boat. Wow, I'd vote for that guy. Am I, am I, I mean, that, that's a leader who says, listen, we might die tomorrow, but you all fought in the Civil War with me. You all, we've, known, we've known death. We've seen death. But here's the deal. We might change something if we finish this thing. Now, they walked, but I'm asking you to get back in the boat. Now, here's a guy with one arm. Whoever had any excuse to say, guys, seriously, but no. And I love that about Jesus. He's saying, man, are you faithful? And if you're faithful, are you willing to learn? I mean, learn every day of your life about not just what I said, but are you willing to learn so deeply that you want to pass this on to others and it keeps moving forward? Now, here's something interesting, the Grand Canyon. Uh, here are these guys, uh, beaten, bloodied. They finish this journey. He writes his journals. Uh, it, the word spreads. Today, 20,000 people take these huge rafts, and they cover that same journey. 20,000 people. Now, how in the world did that happen? Somebody had to do it first. Maybe you're that person. Maybe this morning, God's like working on you right now. Just like he was calling those disciples, you sense he's calling you right now. And that's what we're here to help you, to take the next step. That's why we're here as a church, to help each other to take the next step. And one of the things that we have every service, in just a few moments we're going to take communion, but you also have a prayer room. Any decision that you have, any struggle you have, anything that you're going through, we want to know we're here to pray with you. And if you're visiting this morning, one of the things we do every week is we break bread and we drink juice. We have four tables set up and it allows you to go when you're ready to go take communion. And uh, it's just an amazing time. And I thought about this week's message in communion and I thought about in Scripture the famous boats that are involved in some of the great stories. Uh, Jonah and the whale. I love the story of Paul's shipwreck, his tenacity in Acts chapter 27. But my favorite boat story, uh, Matthew 14, and there's other accounts, but I love it when there's this major storm. Remember this? And they're scared to death. And they look in the distance, and there's Jesus walking on the water. And everybody else is shaking, and they look around, and Peter is out of the boat. I love that. Matter of fact, it, it bothers me when people say, oh, poor Peter. I'm like, yeah, who else got out of the boat? Huh? What are the other, what are the other guys doing? And as Peter's walking to Jesus, it hits him. He's terrified because of the storm. Remember as he begins to sing, Jesus reaches out. Oh, Peter, man, you're so close. Oh, it's just your faith right now, but you're so close. But here's the deal. He got out of the boat. As you approach the table this morning, maybe that's what God's whispering to you. I've been so secure. I don't know what your boat is, but you may have it. And maybe God's whispering, you got to get out of the boat. Listen, you can be my disciple, no matter how broken you are, no matter what challenges you're facing. And here's the great thing. And you can start investing in others. You have no idea of the lives that you can impact. You just take that first step. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, life is hard, and we know that. 
And we know as you look out, you're still issuing that same invitation to follow you, to be a disciple of you. And Lord, we know how difficult that can be. So Lord, help us to be responsible. Help us to respond to your call. Help us to be available. Help us to be faithful. And Lord, help us to learn every day of our lives, learn how to be more like you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.